Hello and welcome back to the final installment of Mustard Gas and Roses podcast. For the past three weeks, we have been analyzing Kurt Vonnegut's novel, Slaughterhouse-Five. I'm Luke Napleton, and I'm with Jack Nolan. What's up? And in this week's episode, we will be talking about the meaning of So It Goes and And So On, the bombs of Dresden and Billy's experience of it, as well as the major characters that arrive in chapters 8 through 10. I hope you enjoy. So, Jack, what did you think of the novel? Um, I really enjoyed this novel. Um, this is probably one of the most interesting and mind-blowing reads that I've probably ever experienced, just because, you know, I've never even heard of, you know, before this book, I've never even heard of the bombings of Dresden and kind of the whole impact of that throughout World War II um, and just the amount of deaths that occurred during it but um, I just really enjoyed this read because I'm a big fan of science fiction and you know it talks about the Trail Famadorians and um, yeah that that was just really interesting for me Uh, what did you think of this read? Um I thought it was a good read. It definitely got better as the book went on. The first three chapters are pretty boring, setting the standards for the book, which I'm not gonna lie. But um, I'm a big, I'm a, I'm a, I like history. I'm a big fan of the history classes. Not a huge like aliens or fiction guy, but um, I I did like it. I did like the history aspect, and yeah, like the the vividness of his writing is um, is like unparalleled, and. You, um, it's eye-opening learning about Dresden because most Americans haven't heard of but the bombings of Dresden, even though it killed double the people of Hiroshima and double the people of Tokyo. But some for some reason, just because it didn't win us the war, like people in America don't know about it. And I thought it was eye-opening because I definitely didn't know about it. And it's just I liked it. it increased my knowledge about the war and. Yeah, I just, I love the way he described his bo- the bombs. Um, he used, his writing is, is very, very not, very well, well written. Um, yeah, I mean, I can notice that too. Um, kind of how in-depth he goes with the bombs and um, the effects of those bombs kind of really struck me as, wow, like, this dude knows what he's talking about. He knows he's researched it. Um, And, like, I didn't really get the sense of that throughout the whole entire book, but I definitely could recognize it um, in these three chapters. And um, I think that's partly of, you know, what he experienced throughout um, what happened, like, when he was... Uh, prisoner of war in Dresden during, you know, this, you know, terrifying event. Yeah. Um, one thing I did really, really like from this last read 
was chapter 9 when um, Billy was in the hospital room in an overfilled hospital with Rumford, who was a, a Harvard professor, and he was reading books about um, about Dresden, trying to get more, and Billy said he was... Um, he was in Dresden, and then this Harvard professor didn't didn't want to believe him. He didn't want to didn't want to learn from this guy in a hospital bed with like a broken leg, and he uh, he claimed he had echolalia, but he obviously didn't, as like the doctors like ran tests on him. But I think that just added like a cool aspect to the book, um, bringing in different characters and like a different you know kind of setting for the book. I just, I did like that, that detail in chapter nine. Yeah, I also did. Um, but, you know, getting back to overall, like, what do you think So It Goes and, um, and so on really added to the book? What did you, what do you think, like, those two yeah, um, um, things of repetition added? So he he obviously if if you read the book, uh, you can obviously tell that so it goes is used just about like ten times a chapter, and it can mean anything from you know his best friend dying right next to him in his arms, or it could mean like his his beer spilled, or um, you know it kind of just like deflates the whole emotion aspect of of him losing something or whether or how much it that thing or that person means to him and that kind of just goes on for and so on also it just these are kind of like emotion deflators in a sense um and they're kind of just there to like let people let the reader know that you know this didn't mean that much to him yeah, kind of like he just brushed it off to the side. And, yeah, uh, it's like no big deal for him. Yeah. So, um, for this read, it was chapters eight through ten, and I really, really love the um, his like inside detail for the bombings, as like he was a prisoner of war in a meat locker with prisoners of war and that was the only reason he was saved and he's still alive um was because of that and then he uses amazing detail on how the the prisoners of war had to clean up the city and clean up the bodies which is disgusting but it, it's cool and yeah any final thoughts on the book yeah i just thought that um like it was a for me, it was, like, a really easy read. Um, it was really just, like, three sittings, and I, like, didn't want to put down the book just because, like, once I started reading, I kept on wanting to know more, like, and more about this historic event that really nobody knows about. And, um, yeah, I just thought, you know, because it's, like, a 450-page book, somewhere around there. And I got through it in three easy reads, and I'm really glad that Mr. Baffo kind of um, they put this, put this task us. in front yeah. of us because, you know, if it hadn't been for him, then, you know, I wouldn't 
have gained this knowledge. So, Napleton, in these chapters, Kurt Vonnegut talks about his experiences with bombs and as a POW, and, uh, you know, what are your thoughts on, you know, what he went through? Um, I thought it was interesting how he used such vivid description of his experiences over in Dresden as a prisoner of war. Um, obviously, it was kind of ironic that the prisoners of war, the people that they would rather have dead, ended up staying alive, and ever, all the civilians did die. Around, like, 135,000 of them, so um, that was just common knowledge, but I thought it was cool that... Well, not cool, it was rather interesting, but sad that once he, him and his buddy O'Hare got out of the meat locker, they had to clean up the city, and... Um, clean up all the dead bodies and go and find um, disgusting, disgusting images of people just torn to pieces by the flames. And um, I thought it was cool, but these chapters were pretty interesting uh, on the bombs. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned like um, kind of like all those bodies that they had to clean up and stuff like that, and I think that really ties into what we've discussed earlier in the past two um, podcast series where um, it really, like, haunts them, and I don't think those images will ever, like, leave their minds. Um, You know, I thought an interesting fact was that, um, you know, Dresden had more deaths than in... Hiroshima and... In Tokyo. Yeah. Yeah, like, Tokyo had somewhere around 70,000. Hiroshima had 80,000. So the fact that a bombing that most Americans probably haven't heard of, I'm sure before yeah. this book we've never heard of it, but everyone's heard of the atomic bomb that ended world ended the World War. So, um, but it was way deadlier. Many more people died, but it just didn't have as big of an effect in the war but they used a ton of bombs. And in this quote, it says, the bomb that had more power, had more power than 20,000 tons of TNT had more power than 2,000 times the blast power of the British Grand Slam, which is the world's largest bomb ever used in warfare yet. So it just shows how much bombs they used and how big of a problem this was in the world. Like... They were just killing people on killing people within square miles of this. Yeah, I mean, another thing was, like, um, how Dresden just became, like, a flame, and it was just, you know, completely just burnt to ashes, basically. And, I mean, I thought that was really interesting and kind of how before um, Vietnam that they were using these kind of like napalm but those kind of bombs where you know it's just bringing so much destruction to the place that it's hitting and 
Um, you know, I thought that was really interesting. I thought it was cool that um, as a prisoner of war, there were, um, I think he said there were a couple other countries that spoke different languages that were prisoners of war. And that's kind of just, it's probably not a good thing that they were being like, held captive together, but it was kind of interesting that their like, cultures are colliding. And then once they got free, they had to go um, clean but bodies and clean up a city that was just absolutely destroyed by their own country. Um, yeah, so it was... Yeah, I mean, uh, another thing like that really struck me pretty hard was you know, Billy's experience with the bombs and um, kind of how not until, you know, he goes outside and sees, like, these horses that are dead um, that it finally brings out, like, emotion in him after even seeing, like, all of these dead bodies. And, I mean, I can relate to that because, like, in movies when you see, like, a person die... I guess you're not as affected as much as, say, like... Marley and me. Yeah, and Marley and me when, you know, Marley dies and those people are just, like, devastated that, you know, their dog had died. And, I I mean, I really related to that. And, I mean, Vonnegut kind of portrays Billy before that as an emotionalist, like, kind of character where when he's asked a question and... um, you know, his responses are just like, yes, yeah, yep, like, it's not going into too much depth, and, I mean, it really brought that sense of emotion. I definitely think he used a lot of description when talking about the bombs. He says, like, when he was in the meat locker, he says that the, the bombs sounded like giant footsteps coming from above, and they were obviously just high explosive bombs, and then he also says... Like you just said earlier, it was a firestorm out there. Dresden was just one big flame, and the flame ate everything organic, and everything would burn. So I just thought that was cool. As he shows throughout the novel, he just uses a lot of detail, which obviously helps a reader stay focused and makes things more interesting when you can picture it better. Yeah, I mean, I think that's why like these three chapters were probably my easiest ones to get through in the whole entire reading just because it was kind of that meat and the climax of where we are or where we were in this um, novel and I mean yeah that was pretty cool that he gave all those facts about you know the bombs and what had happened in Dresden yeah definitely So, in this segment, we have a special guest, Mr. Blazak. Thank you for joining us, Mr. Blazak. Thank you. Um, In this segment, we're going to be talking about, like, friends and gossip, because while Billy was in the hospital, his roommate, Ms. Um, Rumford, and his wife would always, like, talk behind their backs and say things straight to their face that are really mean. So, I'd just like to ask you, like, what your experiences are with gossip and friendship? Um, well, in terms of gossip, I mean, I've, I've had it, I've encountered it, and I'll, I'll say that I've been a part of it as well, um, you know, it, but it's never good, um, 
you know, in terms of, you know, when it's happened to me, um, you know, people, you know, they say what they, you know, want to say, and you, you can never control what somebody thinks about you or wants to say about you, um, but when they go around doing it, it ends up, you know, hurting you, but also, you know, it hurts your friendship, um, because when you find out about it, you lose a sense of trust in that person, um, that you really can't trust, you know, what you tell them or what they're going to think about you because they're going to, um, you, know, you find out that while they might treat you one way or say something to you one way, um, when you're not around, um, what you might have told them or trusted and confided in them or even just trusted them to think about you, um, they went and said negatively, um, or shared without your consent, um. You know, and, I, and I've experienced that, you know, both, like I said, where it's happened to me, uh, but also I know, you know, from experience as well that I have, um, you know, shared some things that, you know, were shared with me that maybe I wasn't supposed to, or, you know, I had an opinion of somebody that instead of telling them my own thoughts, I shared that with other people, and because of that, there was a, uh, they had a negative reaction to me, and, um, you know, and it, it, it hurts the friendship that I might have had with them. Um, in terms of just friendship overall, I mean, that's part of, you know, for me, over the years, you know, I had a lot of issues um, when I was your guys' age um, in school building some friendships and close friendships, and part of that was because my trust in people. I worried about what they thought about me and, and you know, felt they said things, you know, behind my back or even in front of me. Um, and... It wasn't until I started to become more confident in myself and not really care as much what people had to say um, that I was able to kind of branch out and, and build stronger friendships. But the strongest friendships that I've built over the years have truly been with those people that never n never really have said things about me or um, if they have, they haven't been negative um, comments, you know. They've been pretty truthful with me and been honest. So. Yeah, I totally agree with that, I'm sure. We all have our own experiences about being a part of it or being the, the product of it. Um, but in this case, um, they claimed he had echolalia and they were just saying stuff to Billy's face that were really mean. Um, even Lily, his wife, who was kind of a gold digger in a sense because she was 23 and he was 70, um, she asked why Billy hasn't died yet and why they won't let him die. Which is um pretty messed up. Yeah, things. pretty messed up. So what what is your take on like that sort of form of like bullying in a sense that they're just talking straight to their face without caring what he's got to say back? Um, you know, I think it, it's tough because you know you you I'm a person that if you want to you know you you know you could say what you want to say and mean what you want to say. Um, but, uh, you know, it's also you have to realize that sometimes people, um, you know, you don't want to think that everybody has a tough skin or something. To, you know, people just understand what you're saying and they should be able to accept what you're saying. You know, I do get upset sometimes when people say, oh, you're not going to change me and, you know, I'm going to speak my mind and, you know, I don't really care what people think about what I have to say. But you also have to be mindful of people's feelings and thoughts. Like, you have to be realize that, you know, sometimes people um, have a hard time and, um, and sometimes people um, 
don't necessarily understand what you're saying. They can hear what you're saying, but they their feelings are hurt, and so therefore you have to be cautious of what you say. And if um, if you're going to be a true friend, you have to realize maybe sometimes it's just better not saying. It's it, you're better to hold your your thoughts and your opinions in. Um, and not, I'm not saying talk behind the people's person's back, but to um, keep your thoughts and your opinions um, to yourself. I, I, I'm, I'm also, you know, I'm a big supporter of, you know, you got to be honest with people, and it is better to be honest than to gossip. But if it's something that's going to hurt them, then maybe you shouldn't say it. And, and not that you, you know, and, and really hold it in. Maybe you shouldn't say it to them, but also not say it to other people as well. Um, you know, whether the person could hear what you're saying and see what you're saying or um, it's behind their back, sometimes whatever you have to say should just be kept within. Yeah, I, I mean, I could totally see that. Um, like, some examples, like, personally, I could see it in you when, you know, I'm doing the wrong thing or I'm not being my true self, and then you just up front tell me, like, um, yeah, you're, like, changed or whatever, like, you're not doing the right thing, you should be a better person. I mean, I really like that characteristic where you're just, like, truthful with, like, other people. But to kind of get back to the novel and um, kind of wrap this up, um, I think we can see, like, Billy has these strong friends that are... Not Billy, uh, Kurt Vonnegut has these strong relationships with these people that he went like through the toughest time in his life going through the bombings in Dresden and he's kind of held on to those relationships um, do you have like any um, really strong foundations where they really helped you uh, grow as a person yeah I mean I mean some of my strongest friends in my life they've been the ones that have shaped me into who I am you know, and some of those relationships are ones that, you know, I, I think of my closest friends, and some of them, even from my childhood till now, have been the ones that have shaped me, and I could always just go back to and pick up, like, ever, like, you know, even if we haven't talked in a month, it's just like yesterday we talked. But then there's those who I haven't, you know, I haven't talked to in a long time, but their their friendship during a particular part of my life was vital in shaping me to, into who I am today you know times change you know you move you get involved in other things and so sometimes some of the strong friendships you have aren't as strong as they always were um but you know it is those strong friendships that when I look back over time are the ones who that have made me who I am today and it's the people who um you know I've been through tough things with or um in times of my life where I needed them and needed their assistance they were they were there for me yeah so that's all we have for this segment. Thank you, Mr. Blazak. Appreciate it. Thank you. This week's episode was brought to you by Crazy Kaplan's Fireworks. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode regarding the final chapters of Slaughterhouse-Five by Kurt Vonnegut. Follow us on Twitter, at JackNolan44 and at LukeNaves15. I hope you've enjoyed our three-episode podcast, and thank you for listening to Mustard, Gas, and Roses. Mm-hmm.